Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Chris and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Auto Canada third quarter 2021 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question at that time, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. I would like to remind everyone that certain statements in this presentation and on our call are forward-looking in nature, including, among other things, future performance and the implementation of the go-forward plan. These include statements involving known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors outside of management's control that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed in the forward-looking statement. Auto Canada does not assume any responsibility for the accuracy and completeness of the forward-looking statements and does not undertake any obligation to publicly revise these forward-looking statements to reflect subsequent events or circumstances. For additional information about possible risks, please refer to our AIF, which is available on CDAR, and on our website within the Investor Documentation and Filing section. I will now turn the call over to Mike Boris, Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead. Thanks, Chris. Uh, good, good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us on today's third quarter results conference call. For today's call, I'm joined by Paul Anthony, our Executive Chair, Michael Rollick, President of our Canadian Operations, Peter Hong, our Chief Strategy Officer, and Casey Charleston, our Vice President of Finance. We released our Q3 results after the market closed yesterday. A copy of our results is available for download on our website. For today's call, we will be discussing the current state of the business, discussing the financial results, and providing an update on both our Canadian and U.S. segments. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Paul. Thank you, Mike, and good morning, everyone. Our team's continued and relentless focus on operational excellence delivered yet another record-setting quarter in Q3. Starting with revenue, where we recorded our highest-ever third-quarter figure of $1.2 billion through adjusted EBITDA of $68.3 million, which was an increase of 25% over the prior year on a normalized basis. This was, once again, a tremendous performance from top to bottom. These results continue the trend of sustainable improvement and the execution of our complete business model and strategic initiatives. Particularly impressive was the continued strong performance of our U.S. operations. The management team transition that occurred in late Q1 2021 drove a fundamental shift in the operating and sales culture of the dealerships and led to improved metrics on multiple fronts. As a result, we reported third-quarter U.S. adjusted EBITDA of $7.4 million, an improvement of $2.7 million over the prior year. Gross profit increased by $14.5 million to $32.5 million, an improvement of 81%. The U.S. team also increased used retail unit sales to 2,338 from 842 in the prior year an improvement of 178% and supported the improvement in their used to new ratio to 1.58 
from 0.57 in the prior year. We remain thoroughly impressed with the progress we're seeing from the new management team and believe we're on the right path to margins more typical of our U.S. peers. We've swung the results by $22 million to the positive when comparing TTM Q3 2019 to the trailing 12 months of Q3 2021 on a normalized pre-IFRS 16 basis. <clears throat> this business continues to have runway to grow. Our recently announced Crystal Lake acquisition is an example of how we will leverage the momentum with our U.S. management team. Crystal Lake is Auto Canada's first Stellantis dealership in the United States. It expands our presence in the Chicago metropolitan market and is expected to generate approximately $72 million U.S. in annualized revenue. We see strong potential for continued growth and improvement in the United States with the right management team in place and with the right focus on selling used cars and driving profitability. More broadly, over the past few quarters, we've discussed several key structural advantages that support the strength and resiliency of our business model. Over and above these advantages, we have a number of value creation growth levers that will drive the value of Auto Canada well beyond where we are today. I'm going to highlight several, several of these, which are top of mind for the org. <clears throat> the first growth lever is our new vehicle sales, represented by our core OEM dealerships. We have demonstrated our market leadership in new vehicle sales over the last three years, including consistent outperformance of the Canadian market, which we've done again this quarter, while regaining the trust and confidence of our OEM partners. Our used vehicle sales is our second growth lever, supported by our same core OEM dealerships. We've taken our average of used vehicles sold per dealership per month from under 48 to 68 this past quarter, and we see used vehicle sales representing a tremendous growth lever in addition to providing a strong hedge against the cyclical swings which can exist in the new vehicle sales market. Third is our subprime and near-prime business, represented by our right-ride dealerships that cater to the credit-challenged elements of the market. We have seven locations today, and we have visibility to, to 35 standalone locations over the next three to five years. At its run rate, typically three years following a location's opening, we see each location generating approximately $1 million in adjusted EBITDA with very little capital investment required. The return on capital on this growth lever is extremely attractive, to say the least. Fourth is collision where we've been accelerating the pace of our collision shop acquisitions of late, and we expect to continue that pace. The premise behind our strategy here is that OEMs are taking back their mineral rights and will work with OEM dealerships that are certified to carry out safe and proper OEM spec repairs. The insurance market is also moving in this direction at the same time. Fifth is use digital, where we are still in the crawl phase as we build out the back-end foundation of our future success. This continues to represent an excellent opportunity for the company to establish itself as a national presence in Canada, akin to Carvana and, and, and CarMax in the United States, but without the cash burn. <clears throat> Sixth is our parts and service business, which represents yet another opportunity for the company to leverage its BDC or dealer mind partnership to op optimize the back-end profits associated with our new and used vehicle sales. 
the, pin, the pandemic paused some of the initial momentum we pushed out in late 2019, but with kilometers driven increasing, this business is coming back. On top of these growth levers, we have what we'll call our rocket boosters with F&I. Our results over the last three years clearly reflect the impact of this segment on the business tied to the great success we've had on new and used vehicle sales. Same store F&I gross profit has increased from $36 million in Q3 2019 to $56 million in Q3 2021. Same store F&I gross per unit is ranked first in Canada and in the United States at $3,139 in Q3. Supporting all these growth drivers is our focus on business intelligence. We have excelled in leveraging our in-house data science team to make decisions about inventory and, frankly, all segments of the business, in addition to simply managing our learnings and actions on our 10-day sprints. In addition to these core organic initiatives, M&A remains our current focus. We are very confident with the value we'll bring with our acquisition pipeline. I'll have more to say on acquisitions, our diligence, and our pacing at the end of this webcast. Our strong performance in the third quarter reflects the sustainability of our business model and demonstrates that we're successfully managing through the current market environment of global supply chain challenges impacting OEM production. We believe these OEM production capacity issues will normalize over the coming quarters and expect the market to return to pre-pandemic levels in late 22 or early 2023 as vehicle production begins to come back and margins eventually normalize for both new and used vehicles on a sustainable basis. In the meantime, we'll continue to build on our positive momentum and focus on strategic growth initiatives to drive industry-leading performance regardless of changing market conditions. We've been building muscle into our complete business model, and now we're beginning to focus more on resources, on the integration of our pipeline of acquisitions. Our employees in Canada and the United States continue to work tirelessly and have once again delivered excellent performance. Without them, we are nothing. Thank you so much. We're encouraged by the very strong momentum across our business, and we remain well prepared to face any challenges in our current environment. I'm going to come back to speak more about our business model and strategy and more particularly on acquisitions in my concluding remarks, but for now I'll turn it over to Mike. Thanks, Paul, and good morning again to everyone on the call. I'll use this opportunity to touch on three themes coming out of this quarter. One, the scale of improvement in our performance as compared to 2019 and how our foundation continues to strengthen across all segments of the business. Two, some perspective on our performance gains in the U.S. against our most recent OEM dealership acquisition in that market. Three, and then some thoughts on the industry's current inventory hurdles and how Auto Canada is managing against these challenges. First off, I wanted to highlight our performance on a TTM or trailing 12-month basis as compared to 2019, with greater perspective on the strengthening of our core over these past three years. References here will be based on pre-IFRS 16 accounting. TTM adjusted EBITDA to the end of Q3 2021 is 183.7 million. This compares to a TTM adjusted EBITDA Q3 2019 of 55.2 million. Over that same period, our consolidated EBITDA margin more than doubled from 1.6% to 4.2%. Operating expenses as a percentage of gross margin improved by approximately 14.7 percentage points 
moving from 91.2% to 76.5%. We've had nine consecutive quarters of positive free cash flow. Over the last 24 months, we've generated just under 300 million in free cash flow. This compares to negative free cash flow for the trailing 12 months to Q2 2019 of 19.5 million. Our model is demonstrating that we generated good cash flow. And net debt improved from 202 million at the end of Q3 2019 to 30 million at the end of this most recent quarter, bringing our net debt leverage from 3.7 times to 0.2 times. The second point I wanted to discuss or to address is simply an acknowledgement of the gains we are now seeing in our U.S. segment. And with those gains, the comfort and confidence we have in completing the acquisition of Crystal Lake Stellantis earlier in the month. Looking at normalized results, our U.S. operations had a negative 11.8 million adjusted EBITDA for the trailing 12 months ended Q3 2019, as compared to generating positive 10.6 million on a normalized TTM basis to Q3 2021 a positive swing of 22.4 million in real improvement. We continue to see strong gains in total new and used retail unit sales growth, with the U.S. growing by 65% year over year. Despite the ongoing challenges with inventory, the U.S. was able to come in just ahead of prior year on new and positive 178% on used. U.S. adjusted EBITDA margins on a normalized TTM basis reflect 1.8%, as compared to negative 1.7% in 2019. The acquisition of Crystal Lake will further accelerate the gains that the U.S. is pushing through. My third and last point speaks to the current inventory challenges the industry is facing. What is somewhat unique with Auto Canada, though, is that we're securing our OEM allocation based on our strong market performance over the last 24 months. It's a turn and earn model. The more we can sell and the more we can outpace the market, which is what we've been doing over the last three years, the more allocation of inventory we will earn. On top of that, I would emphasize that Auto Canada was ahead of the game, early adopters to building a used car strategy that was applied through 2020 and 2021, as evidenced by our ability to move our new and used, our our used to new ratio from 0.71 in Q3 2019 to 1.22 in Q3 2021 on a TTM basis. With the challenges upon all of us on new, we are very well positioned to leverage our momentum and focus on selling used as a hedge across the segments of our business. All of these points speak to the strength, resiliency, and sustainability of the complete business model. This is not just about new, but it's about used, F&I, parts and service, and collision repair. And on top of all of that, we have our value and growth drivers that Paul has spoken to earlier. I'll now turn it over to Casey. Thanks, Mike. At the consolidated level, revenue came in at $1.2 billion, an increase of $189.7 million, or 19%. Gross profit came in at $220.2 million, an increase of $40.8 million, or 23%. Net income was $38.8 million, an increase of 8%. Adjusted EBITDA came in at 68.3 million, which was an increase of 7.2 million or 12% over Q3 2020. In our Canadian operation, total retail vehicles sold came in at 19,264, an increase of 2,000 units or 12%. The Canadian operations generated revenue of 1 billion, an increase of 12% versus the prior year. 
Gross profit was $187.7 million, an increase of 16%. Net income was $33.8 million, a decrease of $0.5 million. Adjusted EBITDA was $60.8 million, an increase of $4.5 million. Other key highlights include the following. Same-store gross profit increased by $28.2 million, or 19% and our gross profit percentage increased to 18.3% from 17.7%. Same store used to new retail units ratio increased to 1.29 in the quarter from 0.86. Same store F&I gross profit per retail unit increased to $3,139, up 26%, or $650 per unit. Same store F&I gross profit dollars increased 12.9 million or 30%. In our US operations, revenue was 188 million, an increase from Q3 2020 of 79%. Gross profit was 32.5 million, an increase of 81%. Net income was 4.9 million, an increase of 3.3 million. Adjusted EBITDA was 7.4 million, an increase of 2.7 million from Q3 2020. New vehicle gross profit increased by 3.2 million, and new vehicle gross profit percentage increased by 4.4 percentage points to 10.2%. Used vehicle revenue increased by 266%, and used vehicle gross profit increased by 146%. The number of used retail vehicles sold increased by 178% to 2,338 units. I'll now turn the call over to Michael Rollick to discuss our Canadian operations. Thanks, Casey. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us to review this all-time record quarter. Our teams have lots to be proud of this quarter. We outperformed the new vehicle market, set a new record for revenue, improved our margins, lowered our operating costs, and significantly improved net profit. This record-setting result belongs to each one of our 4,200 team members throughout Canada. High performance is only possible with high-performing teams. We are grateful for your passion and perseverance. We have operated with the belief that grit wins, and this has definitely proven to be the case. A special thank you goes out to our OEM partners and strategic vendors who continue to work alongside us in this difficult and ever-changing environment. Thank you. There has already been a lot of information covered during this call, so I'll focus my section on the two most important topics these days. One, margin sustainability, and two, inventory supply. Although gross profit margins are strong at 18.4%, our original target in the Go Forward Plan was 17%. So while strong, we consider this close to our original view on sustainable margins. When you compare all of the operating segments to the Q3 2019 results, the margin improvements are surprisingly even. Unlike the improvements in the U.S. publics, which are primarily driven by exceptionally strong new vehicle growth, our margins are up across the board. It's important to note that in Canada, we are not permitted to sell new vehicles above the manufacturer's MSRP. This constraint, combined with historically strong new vehicle margins, has resulted in moderate improvements of approximately 150 basis points. Our diversified improvement in margins is the result of process improvements, pricing strategies, and less discounting overall. 
It's true that strong consumer demand has allowed dealerships to hold their prices, but we have also become stronger salespeople along the way. Dealerships and their numerous commission-based employees have come to enjoy these new gross profits, and they're not going to let them go easily. The catalyst for lower margins will be excessive-based supply of inventory combined with aging stock. In other words, dealerships will have to start discounting again when they get too much inventory and it starts to sit on their lots too long. Although this will likely happen at some point in the future, we don't see this scenario occurring anytime soon. Our new vehicle inventory continues to be a challenge, but it is still manageable. The situation varies among the OEMs, but the common theme is that production has hit bottom and is slowly improving. Based on our historical sales pace in Q4 2020, we have 48 days supply of new vehicles on ground and 76 days supply when you include vehicles already in transit to the dealership. The entire allocation in the production system is sitting at 139 days. However, the further upstream the vehicle, the more vulnerable it is to delays resulting from microchip shortages. That said, this is the highest volume of vehicles that we've seen in the system for over a year. Even if these vehicles get delayed, we already have 76 days supply secured. We're quite happy with these numbers and frankly are enjoying the benefits of demand exceeding supply. I'm not sure who would change this situation, even if they could. We're looking at used vehicle inventory. We have 56 days supply at 60 vehicles retailed per dealership per month. Used vehicle inventory is a challenge, and this is where the competitive advantage of Auto Canada shines. We have the economies to employ specialized buyers, have industry-leading data, and strategic advantages with OEM closed auctions, trade-ins, and lease returns. All of this combined with the will to outwork the competition provides us with confidence that we can continue to grow our used vehicle sales rates. When supply finally catches up with demand, we will benefit with the improved quantity of vehicles, especially high margin pickup trucks, and achieve gross profit growth through volume gains. This process will take at least 18 months, which provides us with more time to strengthen the organization so that when we are back in a battle for market share, we are ready to compete and win. In conclusion, our teams are very proud of this quarter and continue to make improvements across the entire business. We are not sitting back enjoying these strong margins, just the opposite. We are obsessed with strengthening and improving this business, outworking the competition, and becoming the dominant team in the Canadian automotive industry. Over to you, Paul. Thank you, Michael. Our strong performance this quarter reflects the fundamental strength and resiliency of our business model, and our operational playbook allows us to be ready to execute on our next leg of growth and acquisition strategies. As part of this growth, we continue to advance our acquisition strategy with several recent acquisitions, including two collision centers in Airdrie and Montreal. And as I mentioned earlier, we also added to our U.S. platform with the acquisition of the Crystal Leak Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram dealership representing our first Stellantis dealership in the United States. In terms of our ongoing acquisition strategy, we remain well positioned to execute on our acquisition pipeline in the coming quarters. In terms of timing, we know people may have expected us to complete a few more acquisitions by now. However, with these first few deals, we're taking a little longer to go through our due diligence process. 
we're reviewing these potential acquisitions with a greater degree of scrutiny uh, to, to ensure that we're not taking on any undue risk within these opportunities. We believe this process will accelerate as we get through these first few deals, but we want to take our time to properly test our detailed due diligence with these initial transactions. We will continue to be extremely disciplined as we evaluate these opportunities to ensure they fit within our stringent criteria. As a reminder, our significant transaction pipeline with dealerships and collision centers represent over $400 million in annual revenue currently being evaluated under signed LOIs and purchase agreements. The LOIs, subject to due diligence, represent $100 million in annual revenue. Signed purchase agreement for dealerships located in Ontario, subject to OEM approvals and other standard closing conditions, represent over $300 million in annual revenue. Inclusive of brands we do not currently operate today. Beyond these deals, we are at varying stages of the acquisition process with other targets that have not yet reached the sign LOI stage. We're assessing this extensive pipeline of acquisition opportunities qualitatively and quantitatively with the goal of diversifying by geography and brands in addition to expanding our network of used dealerships and collision centers. In terms of industry themes and where we see things headed, uh, we believe our business model remains resilient to fluctuations in the new vehicle sales cycle given our diversified business mix and extremely flexible cost structure. In addition to our several growth vectors, new cars aside, including F&I, parts and service, collision repair, near prime, subprime, and used only retail. We also believe that any near-term pressure with inventory constraints is likely a positive dynamic for the industry as it creates additional pent-up demand that would be more rationally released over a multi-year recovery. From a longer-term perspective, while potential disruption exists from ongoing industry megatrends such as electrification, autonomy, and mobility services, we are proactively investing in our various growth initiatives to not only avoid disintermediation, but also fortify our position in the shifting industry landscape. As we've said before, we continue to be proactive and vigilant as to what the future holds with any ongoing impacts from the macroeconomic environment related to COVID-19. We believe we've stabilized the fundamentals of our business and the team has been mobilized to approach each one of our growth opportunities with the same intensity and vigor with which we rebuilt this company. We're excited about what the future holds for Auto Canada and we remain poised to take advantage of the disruption and consolidation in the industry and blaze a new path forward in the evolution of the company. Now I'll turn it over to the operator for any questions. Thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Chris Murray, ATB Capital Markets. Chris, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks, folks. Good morning. So maybe turning to the inventory question a little bit, um, and I'm not sure who wants to take this, but but a couple pieces of this. You know, first of all, um, I think last quarter you had talked a little bit about the fact that your OEM allocations um, were looking pretty good through the quarter. And I guess you know you're talking about 76 days with stuff that's that's coming to you. Um, I guess, you know, the first question I've got is, you know, do you see, at least as we go into early 22, some of these things normalizing a little bit in terms of inventory supply? 
Um, and then the other question I have, and this is more of a broader uh, piece, and, and maybe just listening to your commentary, maybe you're already there, but um, you know, some of the OEMs have talked about wanting to be more disciplined in production, keeping inventories maybe tighter long-term. Um, just wondering your thoughts around um, where, where you guys see inventory levels going longer term and, and it, does it become a bit of a market share game again? I think Michael should take the question. I'm happy to maybe add something at the end. Okay, so with, with inventory, um, our forward day supply, which is based on, on last year, uh, based on a 90-day sales rate is 140 days as, as, a, as a total group. And it varies. Some of the OEMs are struggling more than others. Our historical sales rate, 90-day historical rate, if you use, use the last 90 days, we have 125 days uh, supply of inventory and 67 on ground and in transit. But we're heading, we're heading into the slower... Um, seasonal lows for sales, and so uh, it's probably more, more like 75 days supply. And do we see that improving? I think moderately, it's a little bit batchy, like sometimes we get um, a great allocation, um, and then the next, next month it's, it's really light, so it comes and goes, but at the end of the day, we have 75 days supply of inventory uh, on ground and in transit. We're happy with that. Uh, 140 days in the pipeline, and as the pipeline starts to stabilize, uh, that will uh, that will start to get released. To your second question about whether or not we'll get into a battle for market share, and in in I remember specifically 2009-10 and all the disruption that we we had there, and it was the same commentary about OEMs being more disciplined and and less incentives and on and on and that lasted for for a while but uh, eventually inventories build and uh, and and we're, we're we're back in that game again battling for market share and our goal is to make sure that when and if that happens again that we're a stronger company that we use these times um, to, to build lower costs, improve efficiency, strengthen the operation, so that when and if we start to battle for market share again, that we're in a significantly stronger position uh, to do so. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's helpful. And then I think, Paul, you had something you wanted to add? Yeah, listen, I mean, we've had this question previously as well. It was just to cap what Michael was saying. He's going from his experience. Um, and I agree. I've actually spoken to a couple of executives at um, some of the OEMs, and they said, you know, on paper it all makes sense. You know, less cars in the system means less um, incentives and so on and so forth. But automakers are, you know, they're, they're OEMs. They're building, like they build vehicles, and that's what they do. And um, the, the second that it comes to the potential for them to lose market share, is the the second I think that all bets are off, and to Michael's point, it's it's very difficult um, to kind of maintain that that rhetoric. Okay, so if that's the expectation, can you maybe walk me through kind of where the model is today then? Um, because uh, yeah, at the same time, you know, you're probably having some sales are more complicated just because of pricing, um, but as inventories normalize, should we expect transaction volumes to go up 
um, would be, I guess, the logical way to think about this. And then that gives you other opportunities in the F&I business and parts and service. Is that, is that, am I thinking about the way that you guys have structured the model correctly? Michael? Okay. Uh, the way, let me know if this answers you, your, your, your question properly, but the way we're thinking about it is that um, the volume is going to be what it is on the new car side based on the allocation. And so we are focused on margin. Um, you know, it's, you know, simple math, right? Volume times margin equals gross. So we're really focused on margin and quality of transaction because we feel constraint on the new vehicle side. Uh, that said, we feel like we have lots of runway on use, so we're using this time uh, to, to continue to build up our use capacity and volume and, and, and elevate the production system for used vehicles, and elevate and stabilize. Once new vehicle uh, volume increases and allocation increases, there is so much pent-up demand in the system it's it, it's hard to properly articulate how many sold orders we have, how many consumers are out there looking for cars, um, how many fleet companies are over mileaged, out of warranty, can't fill their can't fill their orders, uh, rental car companies that are running cars exceptionally old uh, can't fill their orders, and so once the production comes back, uh, it's going to be a pretty special time for the car business because we'll be able to take advantage of that period of both increased volume and margins as, as demand uh, slowly catches up with supply. This is, this is a, an 18, anywhere from like, you know, 18 to 36 month process to when it starts to final, finally normalize. By the time that all that pent up demand gets satisfied in the system and, and the inventory starts to build, which is which is a lag on that, and the inventory that starts to build gets to age, only at that point in time will dealers start to feel pressure to discount and, and soften margins. That's at least a 36-month process before you, you start to feel that pressure. Uh, by the time that happens, we'll have significantly more economies, efficiencies, we'll have a stronger model in place um, and, and we'll be able to compete and win, e even in a volume, even in a market where we're battling for market share again. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Okay. Um, and then one last question, just on the M&A um, front. Um, Paul, you mentioned the fact you've got uh, a number of transactions that are under purchase agreements, and you're just waiting for some closing conditions. It sounds like. Um, are the can you describe what these closing conditions might be and what what's kind of required between you know today and, and getting some of these transactions to close that sound like they're already signed? Yeah, I would just tell the just as much internal process as as it is external. Um, the level of scrutiny that we're undergoing internally is probably, um, as I mentioned in 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 the call, it, it's it's probably at a higher level. We're very very cognizant of the reason that we're here and that was because M&A um, you know went off the deep end before we got here and so we're we're you know we're we're triple checking everything and so it's taking a lot and and, and I would say pressure testing that against um, 
our, our diligence right now against what it what it could be in the future as we kind of streamline the process. Um, we the, the first deals because they are significant um, as, as far as size go. We want to be very very measured and very methodical and make sure we don't miss that. All right, thanks. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Your next question comes from David Ocampo, Carmark Securities. David, please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Hey, David. When I take a look at your kind of use to new vehicle ratio, it's it's quite elevated and, and quite a bit above your your one one to one ratio. Uh, but just thinking a little bit longer term, and, and when new vehicles do come back into the marketplace, uh, do you expect when consumers shift their preferences, you know, it'll start to gravitate back to one one or or are you guys going to put out uh, kind of a much larger target? What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I mean, I can, I can maybe take a little bit of that, but um, you know, I'll, I'll pass it over to Michael. Um, I, I would tell you that, and we talked about this in our board meeting, that you know, not all the people that are buying used cars right now would have been new car buyers. And so, you know, at, at some level, this is kind of resetting our expectations of the art of the possible. And we now believe that, you know, um, these higher levels of used car penetration and new are, are possible. And for sure, there's going to be some, um, some overlap with new as you do, um, you know, as, as volumes start to normalize. But I think that, you know, what we talked about was our expectation is that um, we should be above the one-to-one. -one. Michael, I'll let you take it. Yeah, my, my thought is that, um, and, and this, is, this is proven historically uh, outside, un, until we had the pandemic, it was for a long period of time, the number of cars sold in Canada was really consistent and increased by population growth by like two, 3% a year. Uh, and then the fluctuation of, of new and used changed within that, but the total numbers of cars sold was extremely consistent. So we've always thought, um, our, our team has always thought of used cars as a hedge. Uh, and sometimes when new comes back and it over overshoots, it, it does it does take some some market share, so to speak, or cannibalizes used. Uh, at the same time, when there's disruption in new, which seems to be more sensitive to the economic situations, used tends to fill in and and fill that gap in. And at the end of the day, the total number of cars sold uh, is consistent. So. We, we have, in our minds, we, we don't think, like operationally, and if you talk to our dealers and our operations team, we don't think in terms of used to new uh, because it, it's about just like increasing the number of cars sold. And that's why we had Project 50, which is a minimum of 50 used cars uh, per dealership. We're over 60 now, and we've got some big targets um, for next year. And so we're just looking at that as a separate business segment to say, just continue to provide growth on your used cars, uh, understanding that when new comes back, 
in a big way that it will provide a headwind um, for for used. All right, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then just circling back on, on your U.S. margins, and you made a comment in your prepared remarks that you expect that to, to gravitate towards pure average margins, maybe not in the near term, but, you know, in the somewhat distant future. Is that possible with, with your current footprint, or, or will you actually need to, to get significantly more scale through acquisitions uh, for that to happen? You know, everything we're seeing is it is possible with our current footprint. Um, we don't, although, you know, slow and steady wins the race for the U.S. Um, we're proving things out, you know, kind of one store at a time. We're not into buying dealer groups in the U.S. necessarily um, unless they're opportunistic. Um, but but we certainly see a path to being industry leaders in the United States as well and um, using our current footprint um, as the platform. Okay, that's it for me. I'll hop back in the queue. Thank you. Your next question comes from Michael Dumay, Scotia Bank. Michael, please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Michael. Um, the first question, just maybe a quick one. You know, I think back in Q2, it seemed like GPU was as good as it gets until I guess we saw Q3 here. Um, so with the lack of new inventory, you know, how should we think about GPU in the next couple quarters? You know, do you think you know, Q3 levels are somewhat sustainable, or is it more of a blend of kind of the Q2, Q3 levels? Michael? Yeah, I would say when 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 you look at front-end gross, I would say probably more the same for the foreseeable future. Uh, and and F&I is still creeping up seasonally. The winter, winter is a little bit higher for F&I. Uh, and that's, again, that... That that's not really margin driven. That business, like what's driving our F and I numbers, is products per deal sold, and and so we we track our F and I. But of course, um, as a big part of that, as a foundational to that, we're tracking how many products are we selling, and again, like credit insurance, extended warranty, tire warranty, all all the different things like that. And because one is margin, which is maybe not as sustainable, and the other one is process improvement, salesmanship. Um, and just o overall quality of transaction. And so what's driving our F&I is, is the PPD or products per deal. And so that is sustainable and, and who knows, like they, they continue to improve that area of the business. Um, so that is more long-term and uh, the new vehicle margins for the foreseeable future. Again, this is like a multi-year process of, of inventory, catching up with all the demand, flipping over all the commercial fleets, flipping over all the rental car companies, building stock on the dealership, and then it's sitting on the dealership lots until it starts to get aged. And then only at that point will we start to feel pressure to discount again. So I don't know. I think we're in for a really good run here for a long time. No, that's helpful. And then maybe just on the gross margins, <clears throat> you know, specifically, um, you know, the targeted gross margins you commented on the goal forward plan of 17 percent now are there any areas maybe use or f and i where you believe you've kind of exceeded prior targets maybe on a sustainable basis such that you know maybe we don't head back to 17 percent i know mix is certainly part of the equation here but just thinking you know longer term 
Yeah, I, I, I would say like the thing that I'm most pleased about from a gross margin perspective is is the improvements across the board and, and, the, and the improvements as a percentage of, of using 20, 2017 as, as a baseline. The improvements uh, are, are surprisingly even um, to each other. If, if you look at the U.S. peer groups, which, which, which we track, the new vehicle margins have way overshot. And, and again, that goes back to my comment that in the States, it's quite common to sell over the manufacturer you know, suggested, because that's the way they look at that, is suggested retail price. But in Canada, we're bound by all sorts of consumer legislation that we, we're not allowed to sell uh, over the, the advertised uh, MSRP. And so if you look at our new margins, we haven't overshot historically what Auto Canada has done. But the, the U.S. publics, a lot of them are more, are double what they were in, in 2018. And so if I look at that from an industry perspective, I think to myself, okay, that's probably going to correct itself at some point in time. When we're sitting at 150 basis points over where we were in 2018 or 2017, it doesn't feel like, like there necessarily has to be a correction there. Um, parts, parts and service are healthy. Uh, we, we know we, we've improved those through all sorts of pricing matrices and and that, that's there's a lot of sophistication that went into into improving that we redid our whole parts catalog from top to bottom uh, looked at all of our effective labor right like those are structural improvements and then used used is very reasonable where we are and we think it's sustainable yeah that makes sense that's that's really helpful thanks and, and then maybe just one last um, you know, a question on capital allocation. I mean, you keep building cash here at a faster rate than you're spending it on M&A, and presumably that changes in the next couple of months. But in the medium term, do you think you can continue to source new deals in a stronger market, you know, sufficiently to kind of keep this balance sheet busy? So I'll answer that. The answer is yes. We've never had so many opportunities um, put in front of us. But you know we're we're we obviously have PTSD from um, the turnaround and the uh, the effort that Grossinger took, and so wanting to make sure that we're getting it right is um, it's a heavy lift turnarounds. Like we'd rather just buy good stores and make them better um, versus buying broken stores and you know getting them up and running and then making them better. And so you know we we absolutely see. Um, the way to deploy all that capital. I would say, you know, a lot of the questions we're getting today are all around sustainability, it sounds like, of, of margins and so on. But I think you guys are missing the punchline. Um, and I don't know, I, I mean, it's, I, I, I think we've demonstrated we're not, we don't want to talk the stock. We don't really do a ton of marketing on, on, on the company. But uh, hopefully everybody understands that, yeah, like we think that the earnings are sustainable. Michael and his team are building out the business model for the next evolution of the business. But we also have growth levers that also, we believe, take us into the next evolution of this business. And, you know, I don't know that everybody really understands, and maybe it's it's our fault for not explaining it properly, uh, our growth levers like Right Ride, um, Subprime, Near Prime, um, you know, we, we have seven locations open. Each one throws off a million dollars of EBITDA. 
Um, we'll have over 35 of them open in the next three to five years. Collision repair is a big market for us. Um, use digital and M&A. And I think that, you know, while we can sit and talk about the sustainability of the earnings, that's kind of table stakes for us. It's now about the next evolution of the business, which Michael said, we're not sitting celebrating the fact that we, you know, we've got the some of the best quarters of the, of the company's history. We're actually figuring out what the, the market looks like next quarter and the quarter after that and the year after that so we can stay ahead of the market. And so I'm not uh, – I guess I just – I'd like to mention that because I think it's getting lost in translation. Yeah, no, I appreciate those comments. Uh, I, I guess, no, we all see the growth. Paul is just, I guess, what base to use, um, you know, to, to, to calculate the growth on top of. But um, helpful comments. I appreciate it. And nice quarter as well. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from Luke Hannon, Canaccord. Luke, please go ahead. Yep, thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, hey, Michael, I wanted, I wanted to start with um, something you had mentioned in your remarks there. I think you said that there's 76 days uh, of new vehicle supply when you include those vehicles in transit. And I, I, cannot, I can appreciate it's tough to sort of quantify the amount of um, demand that's sitting on the sidelines right now. But of those 76 days, I'm just curious, um, how, how much of those have been, I guess, pre-sold or, you know, to the point where um, those units are, are already spoken for? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think on average, the way to think about it is we're starting each month with approximately 15%. That's con very conservative, but each dealership starting each month with about 15% of their new vehicle target uh, pre-sold by, by vehicles that are in transit and paid for already. Okay, excellent. Um, and then on, on m and I'm, I'm curious, um, Paul, maybe you can speak to this. Uh, I mean, we've seen that there's, of course, a, a, a larger U.S. player um, that's entered the Canadian market. And so I'm curious for those targets that are maybe outside of the, the LOI-specific section of your M&A pipeline, um, have multiples there increased at all specifically as a result of this other player entering the Canadian market, or is it still consistent with what you've seen historically? I think it's still the same. Um, in fact, you know, um, the competitor you're talking about being Lithia coming into the market, I think it's great for us because they're rational buyers. It's not that they're overpaying. Um, they do, they, they've, they've got an M&A engine. They know how to do it. They know what they're doing. And, you know, they buy, they buy stores that make sense for everything that we can see. Um, but it's not like they're sitting there and paying uh, multiples that are higher than, than, than industry norms. I would say that the tough part right now, from my experience, is the expectation of sellers. Because they've had these banner years, um, you know, everybody's trying to talk about getting multiples for 2021 and pro forma 2022. And so, you know, bring, bring everybody into reality and saying, you know, that's not normal. Maybe before it wasn't normal because you have new cost structures. But getting to a happy medium, I think, is, is kind of where we all want to get to. And, I, you know, I think that, if anything, um, the U.S. player in the market has actually helped us um, get, give – validity to 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 the 
the valuations that we're putting on dealerships. Got it. And on a similar note, I mean, Lithia, they, they have their, of course, their driveway solution that they're rolling out right now in the States seems to be getting traction. Uh, I think they're on pace for 15,000 units sold through that uh, by the end of the year. Um, is there any, I guess, concern on your part at all that this, you know, that they'll bring the solution into the Canadian market and therefore kind of take away this, this first mover advantage on being able to develop uh, a national digital retail strategy, um, you know, them being able to bring it here ahead of when you might be able to have yours ready. I, I'm, I'm not concerned about that. I think that we have, um, we have the people, we have the knowledge. I think we understand this market um, as well, if not better than anybody else in market with digital use. And uh, what, you know, the the world that I come from is all about transparency. Um, around that car sale, which is what's needed. And I think that we have access to uh, data that we'll be using um, that will help accelerate us. Excellent. Last one for me, and then I'll pass the line. Um, it's nice to see your, your outperformance uh, relative to brands uh, that you represent in the broader market. Nice to see you get back to that this quarter, although um, candidly, it is somewhat a bit of a lower magnitude, the one and a half uh, percentage points that it, it has been in the past, if I recall correctly, in Q3 of last year was close to the tune of seven percentage points. So I'm just curious what the main driver of that was and if you expect that, I guess, level of outperformance to improve in quarters to come. Michael, over to you. I have, a, I have my answer, but I'm curious to hear what you'd say on this. Yeah, the, the new vehicle volume, the, the most difficult segment in the market right now from a supply, build and supply, is pickup truck market. And so uh, we're, we are definitely in the bottom if you read what's happening with GM and Ford and Stellantis uh, with pickup trucks. Um, that and, and if you look at our OEM day supply, uh, those are by far... Um, the bottom, and that's where we're struggling. The we're we're making up volume through uh, cars and um, SUVs, um, but the pickup trucks, the lack of pickup trucks, has definitely created a bit of headwind. Uh, the cup half full on that scenario is that's our highest margin vehicle, and so when that that segment comes back to life. I think that that we're definitely we will see that in probably stronger new vehicle margins. And then the last component too is when you're comparing year over year, you're always looking at at your baseline. And Q3 last year um, was was such an exceptional quarter for us. Where again in Canada because we had such a hard shutdown in Q2, that Q3. Uh, just came back so strong in this market, and uh, we 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 have been dreading all year lapping Q3, and uh, we're actually really pleased. We're really proud of ourselves, um, and we're very pleased that we're not only able to lap that quarter, but but also um, but also beat it. So uh, I, I and and again, when pickup trucks come back, you'll see that volume. We'll, we'll get a bit of tailwinds with that. Does that help? Yep. Okay. okay, great. That's it for me. Thank you. Thanks. Your next question comes from Maggie McDougall, Stifle. 
Maggie, please go ahead. Good morning. Morning. Um, I wanted to uh, touch back on the digital use strategy. I noted in the MDNA, um, you know, a little bit more detail around that in terms of like uh, showing the high volume use dealership that's separate from the firm, from the rest of the firm, as well as some, some goalposts around volumes. Um, that you'd like to have within, a, I think, an 18-month time frame. Um, so first of all, can you give us a bit of update in terms of what your expectations are to achieve enough sort of national presence, manufacturing or, or reconditioning, however you want to call it, in order to proceed to, to the walk stage, which is when you would actually overlay um, the digital platform on top of the infrastructure that you've built? Yeah, I think, you know, when we look at the whole digital use, as, as you know, we had we had said that we're going to build out our scaffolding, which was the used car, the physical used car dealerships um, across the country, and then overlay um, digital retail on top. And that way, kind of killing two birds with one stone, where you've got reconditioning centers inside of these um, used car operators, plus you're getting volume. Um, so you're not necessarily going backwards um, just on expense. And so what we've also learned was buying, and this is what I said, I think the last quarter, it's taken a little bit longer than we would have expected. Um, and that's because buying used car operators like Haldeman Motors, and Mark Wilson's um, that not only represent that size and scale, but kind of fit with the Auto Canada mold. Uh, you know, it, it, they're, they're, they've got process in place. Um, they've got access to inventory. You know, they're, they're um, just high quality used car operations. Uh, those aren't as easy to find. And so we've also been looking at, you know, build versus buy and what it takes to stand up, just like, you know, with Right Ride, and we've, I think we mentioned we have seven Right Rides going to 35. I don't think we need anywhere near that for our used digital, um, but I would say that once we have coverage um, more or less across the country, um, we feel confident we can overlay the digital on top of that. With, with that said, and, and by the way, that's when I would say that we're at the walk stage when, when we have that coverage. Um, we're also we're, we're not doing this like we're not we're not waiting to build out the um, the footprint for all the the used digital or sorry the 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 physical locations. We're we're actually you know we're working hard actually building out the digital infrastructure right now. So right. So once you have the scaffolding, you'll just have the digital infrastructure ready to go. Right, and then we have the ability to then start toggling cars. And driving traffic through um, digital, like both both online or in store. Mm -hmm. um, once your uh, like your Mark Wilsons and your Haldemans are at the point where you're, you've put that digital overlay on top, will you then um, still require? Like, how does the how does the the in person experience change at those locations? I'm trying to think through the transition phase of of moving to digital from analog uh, for those operations. 
Because sure. you still need the people. It's it's just uh, maybe it changes a bit. Yeah, and so I think we've said this right from the start. We don't necessarily think that we're going to flip a switch and sell cars, you know, 100% online. What we want to be is true omnichannel. We want to meet the customer where they want to be met, and whether that's in-store or online. I I say this over and over again, but I think there's this misconception that when um, when, when when people talk about you know digital the digital transaction, they think that you you know you you sit at home, um, you know, in your pajamas and uh, scroll around on an iPad. You hit a button, and then magically a car comes out of a vending machine and it shows up at your house. It's just the front end, like the digital part of the transaction is just the front end of the funnel. But the back end is still pretty laborious. Like it's, it's go procure the car, it's get the car home, blow the French fries out of it, recondition it, um, put a new windshield in, you know, give it a, a how many point inspection, then market the vehicle. All that stuff has not changed. The only thing that's changing is the ordering mechanism on the front end, um, allowing for signatures and then the delivery of the vehicle, whether it be in-store or online. And so the way we're looking at it, it's not that you're going to just necessarily flip a switch and you're going to be buying cars online and they're going to show up at your doorstep. Haldeman and Mark Wilson currently sell cars online, and we're taking learnings from that. Um, Auto Canada, Our Auto Canada stores sell cars online. We're taking learnings from that, but we don't think it's binary. You either you know, you're selling online or in-store. We see it as being a spectrum. Thanks. That actually brings me to a, a, another um, question I had, which is around data. Uh, in my opinion, a lot of these um, traditional businesses, such as your, your own, uh, have a major opportunity to capture data that they're, they have access to and, and use that in interesting ways in the future. And so, Thinking through your digital uh, excursion here with the the, op the operations you already have, where you're going, your background, um, can you talk a little bit about adjacencies you may be able to explore, perhaps a tie into, um, you know, providing some financial solutions, fleet management, subscription services, uh, all kinds of things, um, and how that could play into the data that you guys are collecting, both as a as a physical retailer and also the digital retailer in the future. So I would love to answer that, but I would say that that for us, I think we talked about business intelligence being rocket boosters to our business. Um, I would say that that's going to be proprietary for us, and we see that as being a huge accelerant to um, give us a competitive advantage over everybody else in the marketplace. So I would say for now, you know, we're taking our data, we take learnings from the data that we've created and um, watching trends and, you know, uh, giving us what we would say, um, giving us the ability to look around corners. And, and I would say that's that's pretty proprietary. Okay, understood. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Well, listen, we really appreciate everybody's uh, time today, and um, I guess it's—I uh, guess we'll talk to everybody next year uh, in March for the next uh, for.
for, for the Q4 um, earnings call. But thanks, everybody, for supporting us. We hope to deliver, again, exceptional results. So thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.